there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. This is Full Change with Tom Laidlaw. All right, Tom, we have a really big one today. We Wayne, have Wayne Gretzky? Close. We oh. have a former teammate, okay. a Stanley Cup winner, oh, and current head of the Alumni Association. Oh, Mr. Glenn Healy. Heels, how are you doing there, brother? Well, uh, you know, I, I'm going to get out of uh, jail soon so I can stop doing your podcast. Uh, I, this is my last furlough, this last one here. So, hey, I'm doing good. Yeah. The, uh, the season is coming up. Uh, Everyone seems to be in a good mood. It's the best time of year to be in New York. If you're in New York, yeah. everyone is so friendly. You don't get hit in the back of the ankles with shopping carts. You have to fight for parking spots. And yes, it, it's all. It wasn't so friendly at Todd's Point in Greenwich uh, this morning. They, they let the dogs loose. Now, starting December 1st, the dogs can ride wild on the beach. So the dog tried to attack me today. I had to beat him off with a stick. So the owner wasn't too happy. Wow. I, I thought Gresh was leashed when he got on that. Is that who is attacking you? <laughs> he can't move too, He doesn't need a leash. He can't move too quickly. Anymore. You know what I love about this season? Do you remember the Islander Ranger game? And oh yeah, that, that rivalry is all about. But you know they had where if you dressed up as Santa, you got in for free. And the Islanders weren't very good back then, so really you just had to show up with pants on when you got in for free. But they, they decided <laughs> to do the Santa thing where you dressed up as Santa, and the Ranger fans and Islander fans dressed up as Santa, and they went on the ice and you know. Have a holly jolly Christmas. That was beautiful. And <laughs> next thing you know, there was a full-blown melee and fisticuff on the ice. Ranger oh. fans as Santa were fighting Islander fans as Santa. Seriously? So it was That's classic. I've never seen that in any rink and since oh. the season. And, oh, joy yeah. to the world. But, uh, yeah, it is, a, it is a unique place, New York. Oh, yeah, New York is yeah. fun. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Well, it's even worse now. Right? You can't go to Times Square now. It's a mess down there, so. Well, we played in both places, and what do they say? Get out of L.A. before you're too soft. Yeah. And get out of New York before you become too hard. Yeah, totally, yeah. Both places yeah. do different things, you know, so. And we got to play in both cities, so. Yes, we did. Two great we cities. Yeah. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. All right, so let's go back and talk about your beginnings and your career and what you're doing now and everything. Where did you grow up? Where's what home? So I was uh, very fortunate. Uh, my parents, they, my dad fought in World War II and then came to oh. Canada. Yeah, I uh, fought for the British. Uh, two choices, stay in Scotland with no job and no money or come to Canada and you got two pounds to emigrate with no job, but you came to Canada. Wow. And so he came to Canada, got to the uh, Canadian side of the pond and they asked him what he did for a living. And he said, well, what do you need? And they said, painters. He goes, you wouldn't believe it. I'm a painter. <laughs> he had painted a barn. So uh, ended up 
we we moved into a, a place in Pickering, Ontario, which is oh, so right. famous yes. for myself. Yeah. Uh, but more importantly, an eight reactor nuclear power plant. Right. And that says it all now. So right. now you know how we got here. And that was my start. So Pickering, uh, playing in that organization growing up uh, and, you know, literally enjoying every bit of it. Pickering Panthers was the junior. That's right. Yes, yes. Yes. And then off to Western Michigan, the Harvard of the West. I thought Northern Michigan was the Harvard of the Midwest. Yeah. Well, Northern's not even on a map. Okay. <laughs> they don't even plow the roads when they go. Oh, that's true. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. So were you a goalie when you got started? I was actually. I played in a church league. And again, my dad and parents, Scottish, they had no idea what hockey was. And so decided to put me in a church league. And the first, you know, the age groups were nine years old to four. So that's a big gap. Yeah. Four-year-olds can't skate. Nine-year-olds yeah. are way too big. They're, yeah. you know, they're six feet almost kids today anyways. Yeah. And so the first year buzzer system, uh, I got on the ice and it got close to the puck and eh, the buzzer would go off. Now it's time to change, make my way back to the bench. Eh, oh, I'm still on. Turn around, go back and have another shift. So I never left the ice, but more important, I never touched the puck. My entire first year. And uh, we had the goal equipment at the house because my brother was a goalie and my dad thought in his infinite wisdom, you know what? Why have him chase the puck when he can never get to it? Let the puck come to him. Sure. Put him in net. I've got the equipment. And that's how this incredible journey began with an incredible coaching move by Scotty <laughs> Roman Healy, uh, who had no idea about the game at all, but just thought it was a good thing for us to learn some life lessons. Yeah, did you love it right away? Play goal? Well, you know, I did because it uh, it just kind of came natural. You know, right. like, hey, we played with goalies. You played with one in New York, uh, the Rangers. He was afraid of the puck. You can't be a goalie and be afraid of the puck, can you? He was. Who was afraid of the puck? I'm tell you who it is. Anyways, oh, come on. Another player. Oh. And uh, so, I mean, for me, I wasn't and, and, and liked it and enjoyed it. And, you know, the – the group that we played with that first year, there are three players that made the NHL, which is unheard of. Oh, out really? of Holy okay, who, who was that? Hockey Association. You had Billy Carroll. Oh, yeah. Played with the Islanders and won a number of cups. Yeah. And you had Dirk Reuter, who played a little bit with the Buffalo Sabres. And he was one of those kids that at six years old was shaving and oh. was bigger than everybody. And he'd right. get the center and stick would come up to the rafters. And the like, I watched goalies leave the net. You got this one, man. I'm not getting in the way of this, but you know, the whole idea of playing was about life lessons, you know, yeah. sacrifice, discipline, totally. unselfishness, being a good teammate, being a good person. And that was what was most important. It didn't matter if I won or I lost, I lost by 10, I lost by one. It didn't matter. Parents were very positive in the sense that you're having a good time. You're enjoying your teammates. You, uh, you're learning what's important in life. Keep doing it. And cool. it led to some good things. That's good parenting right there. So did you have a dream of playing in the NHL when you got started? Are you drinking a dream of playing in the NHL? Did you not watch some of those tapes of Western Michigan? No, I wasn't I wasn't drafted in any league ever. Really? No. You were not drafted? I didn't know that. Never. Not, oh, not wow. junior. Uh, I can recall going to the World Junior Tournament. I got invited. I, I think they called the wrong number, but I did get invited. And I sat down for the very first uh, training camp day in Kingston, Ontario at Queens. And everybody was talking about how they skated all summer. And I was like, where do you skate? I hadn't opened up my pocket <laughs> the last game of the year before. 
but I, I just wasn't talented enough. I it wasn't big enough. I wasn't uh, a guy on anyone's radar uh, until I got to my senior year at Western and just happened to play in a CCHA final game. And Rogi Vashon was in to scout Gary Galley oh. and uh, Dave Ellen. And so we had a, a, a game in the, and I managed to make 70 plus saves. Really? Rogi looked around and said, sign him. And hmm. that was my chance. And the door opened. What and, year was that? Uh, that would have been like 84. 84 so okay. Yeah. And, uh, and that gave us the, and you the great opportunity to play with such an esteemed netminder like me, which you know, <laughs> clearly uh, didn't take you long to ask for trade and get out of there. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's how it started. But I just wasn't, you know, it's Pickering, Ontario. Yeah. There's not a flood of scouts going to Don Beer Arena to watch the games. Sure. And if they were going to the games late, if they were, you know why they go to the games? Because across the street was a strip bar. <laughs> what I want to say, let's just watch a period and then we got other stuff. Oh. But no, it's not exactly your Toronto Marlies or your. But Toronto- Heels, you, you must have been a good goaltender. I mean, the scholarship, we get a full scholarship at Western Michigan? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I had opportunities. There's no question. Right. But, but, you know, back. Uh, back then, the just the, the opportunity wasn't there at that level. I did have a chance to play junior A. Right. Peter Ropeets came down. I was 16, and uh, there was this really friendly, lovely, just such a nice coach. I'm trying to think of his name. Uh, Mike Keenan. Oh. He was coaching Peterborough, <laughs> and he came down to ask me to play with the Peets. And my parents wanted me to go to school. They wanted to have Healy educated, which would have been the first ever in the history of our family. Uh, and so their big push was college. Get an education. If you learn, you earn. And and I appreciated that. Huh? Mike came down to ask me to play with Peterborough. I turned him down. And he told me at that point that I was a loser. I would never, No, he didn't say oh, it, did he? Oh, I was worse than that. There's 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 swear words and adjectives that go along. He really it. treated you like that? Wow. It was uh, no different than when I played for oh, him in New York. But yeah. oh yeah, it's uh, it was one of those moments where I, I wondered at 16 if I'd made a mistake, right. and I stuck to it. But I'll tell you that now the rest of the story. And you remember L.A. You know the yep. forum. The other team had to walk by your dress room. Yeah, yeah. And they had to go down the hall a little bit, take a hard left, and there was their dress room. Yeah. And so when Mike got the job in Philadelphia, I waited by that door, oh, like nice. a dog on a bone for that team bus to come. So I could step out of the room and go, Michael, congratulations. You finally made it. Oh, nice. <laughs> Did you say that to him? Oh, absolutely. I was a complete dick, but oh. I didn't care at that moment. But, yeah. uh, you know, hey, it was the right move. Uh, yeah, four cool. great years, college. You're not going to get much better than that. We were yep. treated better than we were treated better than some NHL teams were treating their players. Oh, really? In fact. Mm-hmm. Wow. Certainly from a medical care standpoint, I can tell you. And so as a result, it, uh, it it took a lot of pressure off me playing the NHL. I didn't care if I made it. Right. If I didn't make it, I had two degrees. I had a major in marketing and a major in finance. So oh, wow. I would wow. be able to find a place to land. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it might be by the nuclear reactor in Pickering, mind you, but there would be a place to land. Or the strip right? Or, or the Caballero, yeah. <laughs> the Caballero. <laughs> uh, either way, uh, it, it was, I think, a better route for me. I was right. a late bloomer, late developer. And yeah, it's interesting hearing you talk that way though, because I always viewed you as a great competitor. Like I, you know, you when you showed up for the game and practice and everything, I thought, man, he, this kid's really on. Like he's on fire. Well, he doesn't want it really bad. Yeah, I didn't get the nickname Head Case Healy for nothing. I mean, it, was, <laughs> it was true. Hey, look, I look at every player. Um, it's a tri- it's a triangle, 
And the bottom of the triangle, let's say it's the base, that's skill. So God's given some of us a lot of skill. Like you played with players where you went, wow, like this kid's skill. And then there's the other side of the triangle, which would be knowledge. You know, those smart players, you know, the ones that never make a mistake, the ones that just always seem to be in the right place and figured the game out. Maybe they don't have as much skill, but boy, oh boy, they, they just know where to be and how to get there and what to do and lanes and all the stuff you don't have to coach. Pretty much what every Swedish player has when they come sure. over. Yeah. And then there's the other side, which is the intangible side, which is basically two kids playing in a tournament for the silver stick, mini hockey in the hotel hallway, and you throw down a ball of tape, and who wants that ball of yeah. tape more? Yeah. Very That's true. the intangible side of the ledger. So the skill side didn't have so much of that, but the intangible side and the knowledge side, I had to work on that. And those, right. those I had um, more than I had the base and the skill. And that's what kept me around till I was 40 and was done at 34, but just kept running the other way from all these GMs and teams. It stuck around for a while. <laughs> Didn't know you were there still, yeah. yeah. Well, I tell you, you had the fire. I remember one game, you may not remember this, we had Hartford playing with the Kings and uh, somebody had shot a puck at you and there was a rebound there. The other guy came in from the other team from the Hartford Whalers, uh, shot the puck in and you looked up at me and he says, do you mind picking somebody up in front of the net, please? <laughs> <laughs> How many times did you say that to him, Glenn? I did say please. Yeah. Oh, it's classic. I remember looking. It's one of those moments like everybody's frustrated, right? So it's like this the tiniest little thing. And you said uh, that. Well, you know, we, hey, in LA before Gretz got there. Yeah. I mean, let's call a spade a shovel. I mean, we could yeah. beat anybody up. Right? We yeah. had them all. Had oh, yeah. Tiger Williams and Larry Playfair and Jay Wells and JP Kelly and uh, Paul. Yeah. Well, you name it. We had it all. Kenny Baumgartner. Kenny Baumgartner. He would pull into scrums and go, Daddy's home. And I'd be like, oh, boy, here we go. (laughs) And that was back when we could fight five on five. And I'd come down the ice and I'd just be looking like, could we get a trainer on the ice? I want to grab the trainer. I I one day ended up with Dave Maley and he he separated both my shoulders from my head. Uh, But it was we were good at beating teams up. Yeah, we were. Yes, we were. You know, come to playing, you know, with the one playoff game against LA, we, you know, for three days prepared for this game, you know, right. here we're going to watch, you know, Curry to Gretzky to coffee to Messi to Curry. Okay. We're going to, we got this down now. I think it was six, nothing at the end of the first <laughs> and the glass broke behind the net and the referee came over and told Pat Quinn, going to take a bit to fix the glass, Pat. And Pat said, no problem, son. Can we keep the clock running? <laughs> Did he seriously? Here we go. You know, oh, that's game two came and it was like, start the jet. This one's over too. So, so what was your first year in LA? I uh, would have been, I, I played a little bit and like right away my rookie year in 86 and then, okay. and then made my uh, debut, I think a year and a bit after that. Okay. You know, the team was older. The goaltenders were older. Uh, it was it was all a revamp. We brought in a whole bunch of new guys, the Bob Kadelskis, the Lyle Fairs, the Paul Fentons, Paul Fenton. and it was time to rebuild. And uh, and so a lot of guys found their way out the door. You know, back then, there was no waivers. They could send you to Wuhan if they wanted. Like, sure. It didn't matter, right? It, it wasn't like they were worried about a salary cap. They just got rid of guys. You ended up on some other planet. And so we rebuilt. And then my last year there was Gretzky's first year. Oh, okay. And, uh, you know, that that transformation of the team, and yeah. change of uniform, change of ownership, and change of fate. With one player, the yeah. team was one of the top teams in the NHL. Yeah. And, it was know, unbelievable. That feeling was unbelievable, right? You felt like you were a better player. You think, holy crap, I'm going to be playing with Wayne Gretzky, yeah? We had four games that were sold out 
my first year, and this the year Gretz got there, every game was sold yeah, out. Totally every not. celebrity was in the crowd, from John Candy to Ronald Reagan. Meet the Kings Night was in Beverly Hills. We had Paul Anka and Neil Diamond singing it, <laughs> and paparazzi, and it just it, what a transformation oh, of the yeah. team. And I think the year before we had Meet the Kings Night at one one of the bars in El Segundo with. <laughs> 14 people and six oh. wearing their wedding dress because why would I spend a hundred dollars and only wear it once? <laughs> it was a change, man. Oh, huge. Yeah, I remember that. I remember the first game, home game. It was uh, who sang the national anthem? Ray uh, Rory Orbison sang the national anthem. Phenomenal, right? I was I was standing beside Paul Fenton on the blue line, and uh, Paul Fenton goes, Who is that? I go, It's Roy Orbison, you idiot. <laughs> Yeah. Paul was never up on music. No, no. He, he played his first year in Springfield. He had a clock radio and a mattress on the floor. Oh, so he right. didn't have a lot of like, there's no stereo. Yeah. And you know, you look at that first game and just the energy. Yeah. And I can recall, you know, as they, they went down by numbers. So you would have been one of the first to get yep. up, you know, so it would have been, you know, okay. We all start lining up and I love oh. it. Then it gets to 99. And they start laying out his records, you know, yeah. most goals, most shots, most this, most assists, most points, most Patrick, most. It went on for about 20. Stop. Enough. Okay, we yeah. get it. Oh, and uh, he came out and I just happened to stand beside him. So I get in that shot all the time where I kind of oh. tap him in the ass and it's like, wow. see, kids, I did play. Look at that. Remember that? <laughs> but, uh, he's the first game. Who scores the first goal? Yeah. Yeah. You know, then that year we we play Edmonton, who had won the cup the year before. Granted, with him, but they won the cup the year before. And same thing there. Who scores the first goal yeah. in Game Seven? Him. It just these stars just go right. It's like yeah. Hollywood writes their script, and it just yeah. happens. Totally. Um, and you and I write scripts, and they end up in that circular following. <laughs> However, what a year. That was good. That so was that, good. Then you're a free agent at that point, Glenn. You signed with the Islanders. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, I was, you know, the, you know Gretz played all those years with Grant Fuhrer. Okay. Then he gets me. <laughs> and Laidlaw. And Laidlaw, too. Yeah. You know, no Paul Coffee. Oh, uh, that's funny. You know, I, like I knew it right away. I, I can, I, I knew that they would be looking for a goalie because we were a good team. And who's with you? Who's the other goalie there? Well, Kelly Rudy came in a trade, right? right? And then that's clearly an upgrade. Kelly was great partner. I loved him to death, and he was clearly a lot better than I was. And so I was kind of that player to be named late. Oh, okay. So wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Keep Glenn around just in case, you know, someone runs over Kelly with a bus and we have plan B, even though it's really plan C, but we'll call it plan B. And then uh, the, that summer, then there's a change. And the Islanders were a team, you know, they had come off the dynasty. Again, complete rebuild. We had three rookies on defense, Baski, Kasparitis, and Malikoff. And it was just a matter of, you know, their, Al Arbor was the coach, great, greatest coach I ever had. And they were rebuilding. And I was part of that rebuild and part of a young group that, you know, our leader was Pat Flatley. We had Ray Ferraro. We had a couple Benoit Hogue. We ended up with a Pierre Turgeon in a trade. It could just, it was a young, fun group that was vibrant and had a great leader. And so it led to, you know, me maturing as a player versus what I probably would have had if I'd stayed in LA, which would have been uh, a spot in New Haven <laughs> for the Nighthawks. 
Uh, you're giving, you're not giving yourself enough credit. That's not the goaltender I remember. You're a, like I said, you're a fiery competitor. You knew whenever you went in the net, you were going to give it him that you got. So was Richie Pilon still there on the island? Was he there yet? Or just the that whole group played in Springfield and they'd won a championship there from Rob DeMaio to Dean Chanel to Rich Pilon. Oh. I go down the list and they all kind of came up together and, oh. and had won an, an AHL championship and were ready to make the jump to the NHL. But you know, for the most part, we were just a young group, didn't have a clue what we we're doing. Right. And we needed Al. We definitely needed him to pull us together. And he did. And it led to some great success. Our last year there with the Islanders, you know, we beat Pittsburgh. There were two times Stanley right. yes. Yes. the dynasty. They had every, pretty much everyone on that team is a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Uh, and it was an, an incredible upset. But all of that orchestrated by Al Arbor. Oh, he was that good. I, I just want to go back really quickly to Kenny Baumgartner. You been pretty close with him, right? Weren't you good friends? I live with him. Um, oh. I could write a book on just the two of us living together. It right. was, uh, He's actually a very intelligent guy, right? Great guy. Oh, yeah. very. Looks I remember he first came up with the Kings. He played that heavy metal music. Is that what he was? That heavy yeah. metal he had going. Yeah. Hey, I played bagpipes. So you think? Yeah. I'm going to criticize anyone's music. I know. I remember he, when he first came up as a rookie, he would take control of the stereo in the room and he'd turn on the heavy metal music, but nobody else could stand the music. So we all left the room. We couldn't say anything to him because we thought he was going to beat the crap out of us. Well, so I had the same thing. I, in Toronto, I was allowed one uh, bagpipe song on the, because there's always one guy who runs the stereo. Right. right. It's yeah. the same way. So I picked the song. Hellbound Train by Victoria Police Pipe Band. Everyone, Google that. You'll love it. But <laughs> and I can remember, you know, getting into it. It's a, it's a great kind of lively pipe song, which is, I can't, that's like an Amish hacker. Like, they don't go together. But it it was good. And I'd look up, and the only one in the room with me would be Aki Berg. I'd be like, oh, <laughs> no one likes this then, huh? Uh, uh, new one. But yeah, Kenny and I, uh, you know, I remember the very first game he played. And we are yeah. playing New Jersey. We got called up. Didn't know who he was, but his arms hung to the ground, so I knew yeah. this guy's tough. He can fight. And I, I saw his video from Prince Albert, his uh, year-end video. There wasn't a goal in the video. It was, <laughs> it was him and Dave Manson climbing over penalty boxes. They yeah. were the ones that would go down and take your net and warm up and bring it across center and say, come get it. They'd steal your butts. They actually made a rule that teams had to warm up at different times because of them. Always so, that right. He, he, you know, playing New Jersey and they'd love that four check, the 05, yep. right? No one would four check. So they dump the puck in. I stop it. Kenny sets up behind the net. We get into our set breakout and he bangs the puck over the winger's head, off the glass and down the ice. I don't think New Jersey even had a guy on the ice. They went to change. I thought, oh boy, this is going to be fun. But he would stick up for teammates. Oh, yeah. Oh. Lovely guy and just a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, but yeah, he was he was and he knew what he was doing too. He knew how to bring on that like that nutcase kind of mentality, right? Like well, he, he, had, he, he shaved his hair on the sides there too, little stripes on it, painted that, the stripes yeah. and everything. Yeah, yeah, he uh he fought Domi a number of times yeah. and it just it just you felt bigger, stronger, oh yeah, totally faster, more yeah. confident. Like, no one was messing with you. I could mouth off to anybody and yeah, you know, Kenny help. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, that's right. We had a tough team that too, right? Dean Kennedy, Larry Playfair was there for a while, all those guys. Yeah. Yep. No, don't mess with us. That's for sure. Yeah. But good memories for sure. Yeah. Well, Glenn, I think you sold yourself a little short on the Islander uh, upset of Pittsburgh. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Well, you know, we we're, we lost Pierre Turgeon the series before in the clinching game. If you remember the, the Dale Hunter hit. Hunter. Oh, that's Pierre right. Yes. Yeah. He yeah. scored the clinching goal to make it 5 3. 
not much, 20 seconds left, and game's over, series is over. And three minutes after he scored the goal, Hunter came and hit him. So, like, I thought he had the puck. Oh, good one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> sure. Uh, anyways, uh, he's out. He's done. We've lost our best player. And so, you know, Al Arbor brought a chair in the middle of the room, and he sat it down, and he looked at Pat Flatley, and he, all he asked him was if he could tie one shift against Mario Lemieux. Of course, the answer is yes. And then it was Ray Ferraro, you know, the seagull. Because if he wasn't squawking, he was, you know what, can you tie <laughs> one shift against Mario Lemieux? Yes, I can. And we went around the room, Mullen, we, Ben Waho, we did it all, back to Pat Flatley for the second period. And the message was, we don't have to win a shift. Just tie a shift, and we get to game seven. We get to overtime. We can win one shift. And we get to game seven. We get to overtime, and a Pittsburgh defenseman steps forward onto the ice instead of backwards, and that jumps a two-on-one Ferraro and Bullock, and that was it. Series over, game over. And Al Arbor, who had this young upstart team minus its star, had beaten the great Scotty Bowman with a bunch Sorry. of and it was real important to Al that that happened. And I remember after the series, down by the bus in Pittsburgh, and the ownership came up, and and they were a, they were meddlers. They were the four headless horsemen, is what we used to call them. And uh, <laughs> they came up to Al, very ecstatic about the fact we'd beat Pittsburgh, and they wanted David Bullock traded all year, oh. all year. They wanted him gone, and I think Al kept him. They wanted him gone. And uh, so the game ends and they came up and they're congratulating Al. And he kind of looks at them very gruffly. You know, Al had a presence and he yeah. said, what do you effing think of David Bullock now? <laughs> he said that to the owners. That's Ooh. classic. Oh, good. Well, uh, he could do it too, right? Yeah, he could do it. And hey, to finish the story, then, you know, we don't think we're winning. So there's no beer on the bus or anything. Nothing. Right. And Al Arbor's nickname was Radar because he didn't miss anything. So we say, can we get some beer? And we won. You know, we're going to Montreal now. Yeah. Three cases. No problem, Al. Three cases. That's all we get. So three of us get off the bus. Of course, we open up the back security window. And in go six cases. And on we walk with three. Oh. <laughs> and as I'm walking by him, he says to me, I said three cases, not ten. I counted the seven in the back window. <laughs> the radar didn't miss a thing. Oh, that's funny. That was a big upset, and and again, a, we we as a team were so close. In fact, when that season ended, there was a whole bunch of us that went to Ireland on vacation oh. and time even after the season, and that doesn't happen often. Right? Yeah. Usually, you're right away. You're packed up and you're gone. But no, we we were a close group. Who'd you play the next round? Montreal, right? We played Montreal, and um, it was their season, right? I looked on the ice 200 feet away, and there's Patrick Waugh. Okay, yeah. well, really? Anyone else? You want to get Bill Dernan uh, <laughs> than that? You know, come Ken on. Dryden. Ken Dryden. Ken Dryden. Like, yeah. just let's dress them all. And uh -huh. uh, he was spectacular. And yeah. You just, you know, I think his goals against, it was it was under two, and the back then under two was unbelievable. And just he didn't make a mistake. And the minute I made one, I knew that was it. You know, we're, we're done for this game. But they won a bunch of games in overtime. They beat us in overtime a bunch of times. And, and just it was a, you know, I think they had two parades that year. They had the parade when they won because they beat L.A. And they had the parade when we beat Pittsburgh because they didn't yeah. have that. They didn't have a rat's chance of beating Pittsburgh. I'm telling you, Pittsburgh oh. was on its way. 
but right. we just were a team that couldn't score. And and when you've got Patrick in the net, you can't yeah. score, period, even if you're a good team. Uh, but close, but not close enough. Right. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Have you ever dreamed of being a pro hockey player? Skating on the same professional ice as your hockey heroes? Hockey XP gives you that chance. Join us and live your pro hockey dream for one night. A Hockey XP event gives you the full professional experience. A ticket to an NHL game. A chance to network with other hockey enthusiasts. Meet new teammates and make new connections. An event-themed jersey and a swag bag full of sponsored gifts. You'll dress in pro locker rooms and sit on pro benches. And you'll play a full game on professional ice with professional referees. Join us Tuesday, March 28th at the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia. Or Thursday, April 6th at the UBS Arena on Long Island for a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Spots are selling out fast. Go to HockeyXP.com to register. How many years did you stay with the Islanders? I was four everywhere. So oh. four, four with them, four with the Rangers when I went over, and four with the Leafs to finish things off for oh, right. round 16. Yeah. So I had a four-year window before people got sick of me. <laughs> no, somebody else wanted you, Glenn. Is the way oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Good. Thank yeah. You. So next year, Glenn moves across the river. Or How'd that happen? Did you get traded? Yeah. Or? Well, no. It was, you know, again, we, we had our year-end party with the Islanders. Great finish. And I was a free agent, and and so my good buddy Pat Lotley decides to go to the four headless horsemen again at the year end party, the owners, and write down my contract demands on a napkin. This is what Glenn would like to stay. Seriously, I, he really did that. He did that, yeah. And the owner crumpled the napkin up and threw it at me. Oh, so I knew. Oh, I guess we've broken up. This this is over for us. So there was the uh, year of the expansion draft. You had the Anaheim oh, Mighty Ducks that came into the league. Right. And uh, and so I ended up getting picked up by the Ducks in the expansion draft. Oh. And day two of the expansion draft, the teams that had drafted the year before, because we expanded by four teams real quick, uh, Tampa could pick one player in the draft. And they picked me and traded me then to the Rangers. Oh. 
And all of that happened while I was in Ireland with no cell phone, because we didn't have them back oh. then. No cell phone, no phone where I was staying. And so literally weeks later, when I got back from my escapade with all these players, and as you know, when you go on vacation with seven guys, you can oh. easily find 12 that want to go have fun, let yeah. alone the seven you're with. <laughs> and so I had no idea what had happened. And these teams were not able to get a hold of me. And it was just one of those situations wow. where I'm sure they're all thinking I was a complete asshole for not <laughs> picking up the phone and saying, welcome to the team. And I had no idea, but right. you know, you think about it and you know, you lived it. The Rangers and the Islanders don't make trades. Oh yeah. Yeah. Never. They, they do not get along yeah. in the sandbox ever. Right. And so that was a shock to go from the Islanders to the Rangers across the river to the most yeah. new rivalry. But, you know, in some ways things happen for a reason. And that first day of training camp, I, I, I knew we had a really good team. I didn't know we'd win a cup, but I knew we had a good chance and we did. Was that the year you, they won the cup? Yep. What was yeah. it? Wow. We went to London, England for training camp. Uh, they had the French's mustard cup, which I don't know what that meant, but it was uh, a a series against Toronto who were really good, went to the final four and we dusted them off. We brought just the team. We didn't bring extras. We dusted them off. And I knew right away, like, this is a good team. You, you just took down a final four team that again, we, they didn't bring their extras either. Like this was a trip where we were to grow the game internationally and, and not bring a training camp where, as you know, in camp, we have 70 players in camp. Yeah. Uh, 40 probably should just go and book a vacation. Yeah, They don't belong on the ice with anybody. And so uh, right from the start, you could see that we were a pretty darn good team. When we won the championship, an interesting story, they forgot the trophy in the hotel. So they panicked and went across to the uh, flea market at Wembley and bought a trophy, (laughs) a brass claret jug, and presented it to Mark Messier. And he kind of looked at it and went, what is this? And it was left in the locker room. And it was Neil Smith who was, you know, at the very end was kind of taking a look around and said, oh, the team didn't even take the trophy. <laughs> so he took it. And it's on display somewhere in Neil's house, oh. office, wherever oh, he's got it. But uh, yeah, we just left it there. We're like, yeah, whatever, you keep it. What a waste of seven pounds. What a waste. Keep the money. Is that a true story, really? They forgot it in the hotel. They were bombing that school. They forgot the trophy. Yep. So, but, but you know, that was, uh, that was us going to England and we, we played the three games in four days and I'll give Mike Keen credit. We were there for well over a week. He just gave, you're done guys. Go have a good time. Visit the city. Enjoy. This was training camp. Training camp. So, you know, here we are, we came back. (laughs) We were so out of shape when we got back. (laughs) Like we had to start all over again. Uh, It took us a little bit to get rocking and rolling, but uh, from wire to wire, we were president's trophy team. Right. How was that then? Like Mark Messier on the team, Stanley Cup run, going to seven games. A lot of fun, right? Well, you're you're like the Beatles, you know, you yeah. all kinds of rock stars. Yeah, you had Brian Leach on defense. Yeah. You know, you had Craig McTavish, he's a fourth line center. He was the captain of the Oilers. You know, he had won how many four cups? You had, you know, a line with Steve Larmer on yeah. and Greg Gilbert that never made a mistake, and Stefan Matteau and Brian Noonan and Adam Graves and Mike Richter and that, you know, these guys' names are up in the rafters yeah, and, yeah. and the greatest leader in all of sport. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for the most part, uh, it, it was a team that was built a lot with older players. 
-hmm. that Mike knew when we got into that heat of battle, there wouldn't be a collapse, that we could get through all the stuff that you know your confidence gets challenged. As a player, you get challenged. Your belief gets challenged. You know, that will to win gets challenged all year long. And it's guys that stick with it that uh, aren't going to be deferred and deterred. They're the ones that make a difference. But a lot of the players on that team, from Kevin Lowe to Essa Tikkanen to McTavish to Gretzky, or sorry, uh, Messier to Adam Grace, uh, they had all won championships. So yeah. they, they were all part of a, a steam group, the Jeff Bukaboom, that knew how to win. And when it came time to win, even though we did, it, it still took every ounce of what we had to collect ourselves to get through game seven, to get to the point where we had that last face off. But but all year long, I mean, I can recall game seven against Jersey in the third round, you know, we outshot them in the first uh, overtime in game seven, like 16 to three. I've never seen a better goaltending display than Martin put on. Right. Right. And you you think to yourself, not our year. This isn't going to happen. Right. It's one shot and you're done. Right. But we found a way there. And, uh, so, yeah, there were a lot of moments during that year where – and with Mike, there's a challenge with Mike. You know, there, well, Did you room with Mike? You and Mike Keenan, you guys roomed together? Yeah, we were roommates. Uh, <laughs> after I assaulted him and he assaulted me and we went <laughs> we went to Rikers Island for battery charges. No, no chance. Uh, no, it was uh, – you know, Mike was different. He, he would put a line in the sand and, and if you – that let that line go. He, he'd make a new one and a new one and a new one. You had to draw the line and say, right. this is enough. Right. I'm standing down here. And uh, there were players that did and uh, there were that didn't. And those are the ones that just couldn't deal with some of the antics, but no doubt we had mutinies. Uh, we had disruptions, right. We had skates that we thought were going to give us heart attack. Like we had it all in right. one particular year, but at the end we all did it together and lifted a, Pretty significant trophy. Yeah. Glenn, what was it like in the room after the Devils scored that goal with a second left in game seven? Um, well, the, I can't remember who scored it. Was it Zella Pukin? Yeah, so yeah. I was I was Pukin, Zella Pukin. Uh, you know, I, I think the message from Kevin Lowe was pretty simple. Like, settle down. Again, go back to leadership. You know, settle down. If we had started back in London, England, and said, we're one shot away from going to the Stanley Cup Finals, would you take that? The answer is yes. He stood up and said that, Kevin did? So this is where we were. We were one shot away. So let's go make our shot, and we'll go on. It doesn't matter what's happening. You can't change that, even though I would argue it should have been whistled down. But, you know, whatever. The referees couldn't find their whistles. Uh, But it's a dagger. You know, when you've got it in the bank and you're, you know, you are as a player, you're, you're counting the clock down in your head, right? You just seem to count it down faster than the clock up top. Man, man. And then you think, like, how many times were they late with the whistle? Like, this should have been over. Or, or they were early with a whistle. Like, they're, the second and uh, seven or 1.7 seconds, whatever it may be, sh- should have been done by now. We, we should be moving on. Uh, but we stuck with it, and leadership said, one shot. That's all it is. And Stefan Mateau, who he he's hoping the Rangers don't win a Stanley Cup because he has a credit card for life in New York because of Mateau. Mateau. I've gotten to know him pretty good for alumni advance. He's a good guy too. He's got quite a sense of humor. Yeah, very dry. But you know, there's the kind of player, him and Brian Noonan, that you and Steve Larmer that came from Chicago, that you needed to put up with some of the antics that we had in the room. He he was 98.6, just never too high, never too low. 
Everything's okay. Slow as she goes. Uh, but not only did he score a double overtime goal in game seven, he had another one early on in that series too. So he was a, uh, a double, double overtime winner for us in many ways. And, you know, we needed to get a big team because Jersey was a big team. They had big defensemen and Danico and Stevens. And at the trade deadline, we got bigger because we knew we had to be bigger. And we were more physical than Vancouver. You know, they had great players like Bury and Trevor Linden. But all you got to do is watch the first shift in, in, the, in the Stanley Cup finals, Messier against Linden. There's m- minimum four suspensions in the first shift. Minimum. <laughs> Okay, so this is what I have for the next 59 yeah, minutes. Yeah, no oh my kidding. gosh. Hey, go back, go back to Mike Keenan. Do you think that he felt like those things that he was doing really helped the team? Or yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he, uh, he, his, his, his philosophy was, was simple like we knew what we were getting, we, we clearly knew, and, um, and maybe in some ways, you know, the, the antics were to galvanize us to keep us together. So all we had was each other, yeah. I, hey, look, there's times that, you know, we'd have a, a, a shooting drill in practice. All right, whistle blows. Let's start practice. So typical practice is the horseshoe drill, correct? Everyone knows it. You yep. Come around the horn, D to D, pass to the guy down the wing. He takes a wrist shot on the goalie. You know, get Glenn all nice and comfy, cozy. All right, we start with a horseshoe drill down the wing, around the corner, shot, first shot goes wide, whistle blows. Stick explodes off the net, and we skate for 40 minutes. We really got that upset over one shot missing the net, really. And the stick exploded. It, it was it was like it was sawed in seven-eighths. So the wind could have blown the blade off, oh. right? And so, you know, you start to believe some of that stuff. But, yeah, there, it, was a, it was a challenge. I got pulled in a game in New York with the Islanders, uh, and – I I mean, clearly went ballistic, um, called him every name in the book. Oh, did I, you? Oh, oh. I wish, Tommy, you had told me that the cameras are across from the bench, but <laughs> they can pick up everything you're saying. Oh, and really? How was, did he handle that when you did that? How, was, how what did he do? It was like I didn't do anything. He pulled me into one of the rooms as you walk down on Long Island. There's some yep. dressing rooms on the right side, and, yep. and their team masseuse was in one of the rooms. And he kicked that person out, you know, get oh. the hell out. And I thought him and I were going to have the big rowdy, here you go. And he looked at me and criticized another player. Do you believe so-and-so, how lousy he is? What, what, what's that got to do with tonight? Wow. <laughs> Anyways, but, so that, what, but that kind of stuff to me, I see like he's really planning that. Is he like the mad scientist or is he? It, yeah. it, it was there. I can well, tell you, I'm not making it up. But My yeah. only only interaction with him was we played an alumni game down in Philadelphia and he coached it. Yeah, you started bench and benched you. Yeah, well, <laughs> I went in after the second period. Uh, I went. I was getting a lot of ice time. So I, there's other guys that hadn't played much. So I thought mm-hmm. it was being nice. Mike Richter is in the room with him. And I said, hey, Mike, uh, you know, listen, if you want to play the other guys, I've had lots of ice time already. And he goes, uh, something like he says, uh, I'll play who, whoever I have and want to play. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> I'd heard all the stories about him. So I, I, I felt comfortable just telling the F off, too. So it was good. Alumni game. Yeah, it was an alumni game. Yeah. We had, we had a gentleman who played with the Olympic team, Todd Marshawn. Yeah. Right. Wonderful kid. Came yeah. up after the Olympics. And, you know, he's a little bit on the small side. I, I, I thought we actually had like a, Meet the fan. The fan was in the room. And I found out, no, he's, he's signed. He's on our team. So he, he played that night. And in the gardens, you know, it's a pretty intimidating building. Mm-hmm. And his first shift, as we do most times, our first shift, it was very short, like very short. I'm going to say 12 seconds. But just go out, skip my, my first shift, and then get back to the bench and collect myself. 
he sat there for probably about an hour and 40 minutes, never played another shift. Oh, Jesus. And at that point, Mike leaned in his ear and told him that he hadn't seen anything from Mr. Olympian, and he's got one more shift to show him. <laughs> wow. So that kind of is a chance. Like, so anyways, Todd did get traded. He got traded to Edmonton. Uh, and so, but th- those, those stories are real oh, and they are real, but we lived them. And, uh, and you know what? We got the t-shirt show for it. It's yeah. yeah. Good good memories, good memories. A few nice parties too. Yeah. So he had four years in New York. How did retirement work? We just kind of forced retirement. You were done. Where was that? Oh, I, and I went, oh, to, that's Tr- you went to Toronto. I forgot. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I was a free agent. And, uh, you know, at the time, there was really only Andy Moog and myself as free agent goalies. Mm-hmm. And so we we both had some significant offers from different teams. And uh, the team that made the most significant offer to me were the Montreal Canadiens. They were the ones that, that were serious. So I, I couldn't agree in any way financially to terms with the Leafs. Uh, Ken Dryden was their GM, and he just wouldn't move past the number. And I couldn't make any of the numbers work. You know, free rent, because I live in Pickering, no, that doesn't matter. You know, uh, different tax status, no, it doesn't matter. Like, it just, it was a big chasm for the two offers. So I went into Montreal, and I did my physical, and uh, Dr. Mulder did the physical. I met with the coaches. I met with the general manager. I sat in the coach's office with all of them, and it was about, Call your agent. Let's agree to this. Let's have a press conference and let's get your journey in Montreal started. And at the time, I had called my agent. Uh, you know, Larry Roush was my yes. agent. Yes, Larry and, Roush. Uh, and I was very excited. Great dress room. Physical went great. Coaches are awesome. GM fantastic. And he, in the interim, had called the Leafs to say he's signing in Montreal. They said, whatever they're giving him there will match. So, as I'm on the phone with Larry, he says to me, get out. <laughs> so how the hell do you get out of that locker room oh, with everybody man. there oh, asking wow. for a press conference? So I came up with some crazy story about, you know, going to check with my family and make sure this is okay. And I can come back later tonight. And uh, anyways, uh, that wasn't to be. Uh, oh, called Rajon Ool is the GM to tell him that, it was my dream to play in Toronto, like his dream would have been to play in Montreal. Sure. And and so, you know, understand my feelings, understand my situation. What'd he say? Oh, there was two words. <laughs> Second <laughs> one's off. <laughs> really? He was that was it. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah we're done. Wow. Okay. So uh that being said, I mean again, two hated rivals and and yeah. Andy Moak signed in Montreal. And oh. He, uh, and he had a, he had a great finish his sure. career too. Man. So uh, might, might not even miss finished. I don't know if he went to Dallas after that or if it was before. Right. Well, yeah, yeah, it was probably back. He, he kept his thing going too. So, yeah. but yeah, Toronto was the place where I wanted to be. And it was, again, four great years with a really good team. And my goal, my vision was do what we did in New York and three decades and generations of misery, actually five decades, 54 years. But three generations that hadn't seen a championship, and sure. we did it. Mm-hmm. There are four generations now in Toronto. So yeah. if you could do it there, I mean, that's a pretty good place to yeah. do it. No kidding. So you had 16 seasons mm-hmm. in the National Hockey League. Somebody told you, you were an eight-year-old kid that you were going to play 16 seasons in the National Hockey League. It would have been pretty impressive, right? Yeah. they're um, Clearly, they live closer to the nuclear reactor in Pittsburgh. <laughs> <and Malibu. laughs> just, uh, but that's the way the yeah. journey you, you know, we, uh, and we've seen guys that, that, that can't miss guys that can't 
hit it. And right. the guys that were, you know, first rounders that just never seemed to pull it together and get it together. Sure. And then, you know, like I played with some great players that just, you never, uh, you know, Luke Robitaille. Yeah. Hall of Famers, numbers in the, the ceiling. I remember his first day of training camp and couldn't really skate. And he, yeah. you know, I couldn't get to places on the ice. And I thought, wow, he's got to be a fighter. He's got to be yeah. a tough guy. And there was a gentleman we had at camp, Danny Brennan. And the first shift that Luke had, <laughs> they dropped the gloves and he, like, one punched him and knocked him out. I thought, this guy can't fight either. Like, how's he going to play? Well, I guess yeah. he missed that one. Not like, bad, yeah. Not well, bad yeah. Yeah. So you just never know until you step on the ice. And he, even a guy like Gretz, you know, um, you know, even if he never scored a goal in the NHL, he'd still be the most points ever. Like, think yeah. about that. Yeah. Who would have picked that, you know? Yeah. Uh, Dave McNabb, or Peter McNabb, who passed away, tells a great story about Wayne Gretzky. Uh, God rest his soul. But he, he talked about them playing in Edmonton the first year that Gretz was there. And they don't. They, it was like the second or third game that the season had started, and Ray Bork was on the team. But it was the big bad Bruins, right? And so everyone wanted to know, okay, who's this Gretzky guy? Who is he? Is he any good? Anyone seen him play? Anybody? And Ray Bork had played against him in some of the friendlies that they had with the juniors. Right. And Ray didn't really speak very well with, with English. It was French. And he just looked at the group and went, good. <laughs> oh, okay. So they, they get on the ice for warm up and they're all going to dial in this guy because he's the guy you got to watch, right? Sure. And they're looking for 99 and there's no names in the back of the sweaters. Sure. It's just numbers. Yeah. Well, as they skate around and warm up, they're like, him? That guy? Yeah. That's the guy we got to worry about? Because you can imagine Wayne was probably 160 pounds, sure. yep. 5'9, 5'10, 6 foot, whatever, but, you know, skated hunched over. So you didn't really know how tall he was. But, that's sure. the guy we worry about. I think he had like five points that night. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the guy we got to worry about. There we go. But yeah. isn't funny? You look back. People didn't all believe in Wayne Gretzky when he first started, right? There's a lot of people say he's not he's not fast enough. He can't shoot the puck well enough. Like they, no, not a lot of people were predicting he was going to be Wayne Gretzky. None of them are employed right now. That's yeah, true. Very true. Yeah. yeah, good enough. You would have to score 200 points a year right. for 16 straight years to, that's true. to match his record. Think that's about true. that. Yeah. Yeah. We, we're lucky to get a guy with a hundred and we yeah. celebrate it and we okay. pull out the pipe band and the, the parade and he would have 200, you know, he, uh, Mitch Marner's got a 21 game goal uh, point streak going right now. And everyone in Toronto was a gush, you know, Gretz's I think was 52 yeah. games, yeah. 59, 59. And, and if you look at the point totals in the 59 games, it's something like 170 points. <laughs> it's a monster season. Like, what? Yeah. It's, that's a career for most yeah. people. So, for Tom, it is minus two. So you retired from playing the game. How did that end up then? Did you? That was enough for you? No, no. I um, I was uh, still had a, cu a couple of years left on my contract. I had signed right. at forty. I still had an extension of two years, which is I don't know what the Leafs were thinking, but <laughs> they weren't. Uh, but they had a goaltender called Michael Telquist in Sweden, and they wanted to bring him over, but. He didn't want to come if I was there because you're going to knock out the guy who's played for 16 years. It's going to be hard. So Pat Glenn thought, well, just buy Glenn out, get rid of him, and we'll bring him over. Oh. Which, fine, like I'd signed my extension in May. So we, by the time we got to June, which 
June 30th, as, as everyone knows, for NHL players is the buyout date. So if you do get a courier on the 30th of June, it's probably not a Christmas gift. Just saying. <laughs> so that came to my house. And so extension in May didn't work out once, bought out in June. Oh, okay. Not so bad. But yeah. there were other opportunities to go to other places, but it was time to just invest in the family, to stay right. here and uh, not move and not get up and traipse around the country. You know, when I knew at the end of the day, I was probably going to play 10 to 15 games and it's sure. not a lot of fun. I know guys are trying to miss you, but Lades, there's guys like you that just seem to always hit you and pops hurt and I just had enough. So that was it. And, and you know, news hit the wire and Hockey Night in Canada came calling the same day. Oh, really? Great. That's excellent. And you were on Hockey Night Canada for how many seasons? A number of years, uh, probably 13 in total. A uh, wow. little break in there where I went to the Players Association to work on some of the player affairs stuff. That's uh, right. But yeah, no, again, the, the best broadcast in hockey, the best people yeah. in the truck, you know, getting a chance to work. My first game was with the great Don Whitman. Uh, and then I get to work with, you know, Bob Cole and Harry Neal and, you know, just uh, Dick Irvin and oh, Dick Irvin. That's a great name. Yeah. Incredible group yeah. of people. I mean, like literally a, a guy like Bob Cole, I can't tell you how many games I did with him were seven minutes left. You know, the whistle blows. Typically that's when the talking head like me gets in and starts breaking stuff down. And I would just look at him and go, Bob, I can't beat what you got. Bring it home. <laughs> like, he's got that voice right that's just like like Irvin too those, the voice you just remember it all the time in Hockey Night Canada yeah. well he just they always had those calls you know that were just yeah. iconic every every call was unique you know I I remember in the 98 Nagano Olympics and uh, they were playing the Czech Canada was playing the Czech Republic and it was the year that the Czechs won Hasek the shootout Gretzky didn't take the shootout and Bob Cole's call was well there's five minutes left, and you know what. And after that, it's you know what. And then you know what. Okay. What? We all knew. Overtime, <laughs> shootout. Okay. Or, you know, the, the great call in the Olympics, Joe Sackick. That has to be it. Uh, you know, they're going home when they played the Russians. We stayed. They're going home. Like, he just had a... He had those iconic yeah. calls every yeah. time, and uh, and and that was a uh, that was a brand that was a, a treasure in this country. And yeah. so I was fortunate enough to get a chance to. Uh, we were the first to be between the benches to broadcast from down low, oh. and you know just everything about the people that worked in right. the just right. the best of the best. So yeah. a, a great enjoyable journey in my career. Right. So what did you do at the player association? I forgot. Well, I would have done anything that crossed uh, the players' purview would be under my watch. So arbitration, free agency, you know, uh, substance abuse, uh, suspensions, looking at uh, being part of the CBA negotiation. So any of the stuff that uh, where a player was involved, I would be involved with my team, which would be everything. Right. Where they're the players, they're not the owners association. <laughs> they're the players right. association. Right. So, so we would take, uh, you know, there was, there would be the, the fall tour, there'd be a whole bunch of different things. I was part of the competition committee as a non-voting member. So all of the things that were, were oh. under the players' watch would be Very cool. Was Goodnell still there? Uh, Bob had just, he had left in 2004. They were a little bit rudderless for a while. They had some yeah. issues. Ted Saskin and Saga went on. And then they hired a, a federal prosecutor out of Boston, Paul Kelly. And That's I right. came on board with Paul. 
And Paul was a gentleman who um, prosecuted and uh, successfully, I might say, Alan Eagleson. He was the reason that we oh, got that's right. uh, Alan Eagleson. And so I hold Paul in such high esteem for getting rid of Alan and what he, he did to three, four generations of players because it was right. uncomfortable. Oh, totally. So everybody knows that uh, Alan Eagleson used to run the uh, Player Association until he went to jail. And rep he represented a lot of players, too, individually as well. Yeah, he went to jail. I think he had 40-plus counts of fraud. There was uh, – he was taking money from the players. You know, yeah. Bobby Orr, uh, Saga is well-documented. Yeah. Russ Conway writing a book called Gross Misconduct is a worthwhile read. Yeah. Uh, but but Paul and the FBI, they managed to do a thorough investigation. Um, and a, a gentleman who was in the Hall of Fame, like Alan, is taken out of the Hall of Fame. And that doesn't happen too often. Okay. Um, so anyways, uh, Paul was the executive director, and I came on board with Paul. What happened with Paul then? Who came in after him? Does Donald Fear come in and took over? Don Fear took over, and uh, Don has been there um, ever since. And um, now Don will be replaced in the coming day, not days, weeks, months, whatever they do. Players decide their their new head comes in, but he's he's definitely uh, stepping aside. Um, his oh. time is up. Oh, okay. I remember I was still an agent when he came on board and uh, he was, I thought playing that game, like, I don't want this job. I don't want the job. I'm just here temporarily. He wanted the job all along. Don't you think? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Was his nose growing when he said that? I mean, <laughs> he was a confident man. Too. I remember he walked into one meeting one time. He says, I'm very good at this. Like, just, just like that. And I guess yeah, if you've done okay. what you've done. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. I, I say that too. Sometimes <laughs> that doesn't work out very well either. So Player Association then back on TV again with Hockey Night Canada again? Yep. Yeah, we're back at it. And, uh, you know, the, the hard part with t television is just when it's Hockey Night in Canada, the travel is is difficult. You are oh. gone, especially in the playoffs. It's a game every night. Uh, they, they have the rights to all the playoff games, and they are the sole rights holder in Canada. And so you are 10 weeks of traveling everywhere you got to get to to uh, – to cover all the different teams. And it's not, not home games in Toronto. I mean, they haven't yeah. been in the second round in 20 years, but you are one night in Washington. The next night you could be in San Jose. The next night you could be back in Washington. Right. And so those flights across the country and being away from your family at some point, uh, it does take away from that quality of life. And sure. you question whether, you know, at 30, you would be way better to do this job than you were at. Yeah. So yeah, that was a change. So did you jump right to the Alumni Association after from broadcasting? Yeah. So, okay. I, again, just uh, a, a number of years ago was, uh, was a, a group of players, Wayne being one of them, that felt that we deserve better as alumni, that right. uh, this is a big brand, and that uh, there were players that were falling through the cracks with medicals that had died without getting their medicals, uh, that needed uh, better pensions, that needed better a library of services and benefits and that uh, we should be able to pull ourselves together as players and make this happen. And so of course, my first question to baby Jesus was he better be in the manger come Christmas morning. Cause if I don't have Wayne as part of my team, yeah. it's going to be a hard sell for a lot of guys. And uh, uh, he was hundred percent on board. In fact, said we'll get everyone on board. And that has been the case. Uh, yeah. Everybody, you know, there's players that we played with that you played with, you know, have, have issues with coping mechanisms, with with alcohol, with drugs. And we need to help them and make tomorrow better than today. Sure. And uh, there are spouses that need help and we need to help them, too. We've got uh, a social worker. We're the first sports organization of any of the four major sports to have someone work with spouses. 
uh, every player transitions, every player retires, and sometimes it's it's a great transition. For me, it was smooth. For some players, it's rocky. Yeah. Uh, but we all go through a transition, and we just need to stick together as a hockey family. And that that's how the journey began there, and that's where we're at now. But I can, you know, honestly say that my phone, when it rings, I don't have to say I'm sorry to any spouse or player or kid of a player who says, I want my dad back. I don't know what's going on. We have an answer, and we've helped, and we've got a library yeah. services extreme. Well, I know that to be a fact, too. Obviously, we don't want to mention names, but <clears throat> you've done a great job. So did you go right from Mark Napier to you, or was there somebody else in between there first? Running the um, I think they hired someone interim. Um, yeah, name escapes me, but um, they they had someone on the interim that it was it was a uh, I think more on the side of the business side to see if yeah. that would work, and I don't think it worked out. And so as a result, you know, yeah. again, um, players trust players. Yeah, totally. and uh, you know, we speak the same language. We've been through the same things. We know what the journey's like the pitfalls, the hardship, because it is tough. You know, my 16 years, when the NHL train left the station for that first time after 16 years, my phone stops ringing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, then what what you lack again most is structure. We are all about structure. We knew when our practice was, when our plane was, when our meetings were, and when they're gone, now you have no structure in your day. Yeah. And a lot of times guys get into that stream and they don't have a paddle and that stream takes them the wrong direction. Right. So structure provided that path. So we, we have provided that interconnectivity, that structure and all the things that, that make for, look at short career, your next career. It's a, it's a, a long journey. Yeah. It's a long one. So make that one as good as the playing career. Yeah, definitely. Any surprises for you, this job more than you thought it was more problems than you thought. It's a, it, you know, the, the premise is pretty simple. If you always get up each day and your feet hit the ground and you, you think of, two things you think of honoring the past that's your mission and the second thing is how do i make tomorrow better than today for players and their families right. and I, I know i can't solve all the problems in one phone call but i know that no matter who calls me i know that i can get yeah. tomorrow saturday and make it better than friday or get to sunday then when i get to saturday and make it better and that that those two premises of all, all our staff, and we have a really really good rock star staff. Yep. If we stick to that, we'll we'll get through any of the issues that we get have to get through. Well, Heels, it's been great having you on the show. Uh, if I was to look back, like if, I don't know if you ever do this, but look back at your life. I mean, you've had one hell of a life so far. It's not over for you yet. You still got a ways to go. But I mean, to play We're 16 going into the weekend, you never know. Never know. <laughs> sixteen years in the National Hockey League, doing the things you've done after the game. I would probably say, and I mean this is a total compliment to you. You're probably done more after the game than you did during the game. A lot of people just kind of pack it in. They play in the National Hockey League, and they say that's just all I've done in my life. You have not done that. So, kudos to you. You've done a great yeah. job. Thank you, ladies. I know you were a, a great teammate. And, uh, hey, put two college kids that we didn't know what we were doing, but we figured it out, didn't we? <laughs> that uh, is the truth, though, too. You look back at it and think, I didn't know. How did I do all that stuff? Yeah. It's yeah like look, at, I'm Kalamazoo. At least, you know, we've got roads. Yeah. Uh, we have trees. I mean, where you were, northern Michigan, you're north of the tree line. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was still 11 months a year. Oh, it was funny because you get nice, nice beaches and everything. So you'd be on the beach during the summer, it'd be 80 degrees, but there's still ice floating around Lake Superior. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Hey, he also, very much. I really appreciate you being on the show. You fantastic career, life. Uh, great to see you. I'm very proud of you. Great. Thanks, ladies. Right, Thanks brother. for having me. Cheers, everybody. Man. He, Glenn Healy is a riot. 
you know, he obviously won a cup, but he's a bagpiper. You know, like just oh, head yeah. of the alumni association. Great stories. Oh, one of those guys you ask one question and he goes on for an hour or two. He's he is funny. Like the thing he could go on for an hour, but it's all interesting stuff. He could. He should be doing like a stand up comedy yeah. set. He was re, he's really funny and he's yeah. quick. And what a great interview that yeah. was. Uh, yeah, I'm glad we got to talk to him. That was yeah. awesome. He's doing some good stuff with the alumni too. So yeah, he really is another good man. Yeah, absolutely. All right, grasshoppers. Thank you for listening. We had a fantastic show. We'll see you next time.